Action Line continues a search for truth. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-host today is Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones. This is our 86th broadcast. As we move into our eighth year of broadcasting on WGNS, we thank Bart Walker for providing us with this opportunity. And we thank WGNS for providing us with the airtime. We also thank our producer, Nick Cohen. Most of all, we thank you for listening. In our Call to Conviction segment, we will highlight a case that is currently being prepared for broadcast on cable television. It is one of Rutherford County's most memorable trial cases. It is a case that highlights the hard work and dedication of two Rutherford County detectives. Two detectives who, under the leadership of former Rutherford County Sheriff Truman Jones, were the first investigators assigned to the then newly formed Rutherford County Cold Case Unit. The two detectives were Bill Sharp and Dan Goodwin. Together, Detectives Sharp and Goodwin solved several cold case murders. At least five of these murders had remained unsolved for over 20 years. Sharp and Goodwin also helped other departments establish their own cold case units. Because of their amazing success, their work drew national attention, and they became recognized by many as the best cold case investigators in the state of Tennessee. Along with former District Attorney General Bill Weitzel, Jr., it was my honor to prosecute the cold case murders that were solved by Dan Goodwin and Bill Sharp. On today's program, we will highlight what many believe is their most important case. It is a case involving the 1986 murder of Deborah Bess. In our Inside the Court segment, District Attorney General Jennings Jones will tell you about the recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. And finally, if time allows, we will close the program with our cold case profile segment. We will be asking for your help in solving a mystery. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. We got some good neighbors and we like bragging on them. Nominate a good neighbor every day. Put it in writing on WGNS. WGNS. AM. AM. FM. FM. Online. We'll see cloudy skies here for this afternoon with a high into the upper 40s. Winds out of the northwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy skies develop alone near 31. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 45. Good morning. Traffic still moving out here on 840 as you head over towards Franklin, Williamson County. Watch your speed. Traffic's busy, but it's moving fairly decent. 24 out through the Hickory Hollow area. Again, just allow yourself extra travel time out here and slow it down. To cater your next holiday party coming up, call Prince's Hot Chicken or simply go online. Prince'sHotChicken.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic. 
All that's news with Matt Lane. Weekday afternoon. Rutherford County's place to talk. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney, Jennings Jones. In this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you Inside the Courts. We want to begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, unless otherwise stated, and of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On April the 9th, 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on North Rutherford Boulevard in response to a shooting resulting in the death of Mr. Stephen Lopez, Jr., Detective Richard Presley has been assigned as lead investigator for the Murfreesboro Police Department. Detective Presley has charged Mr. James Evans III with the second-degree murder of Mr. Stephen Lopez, Jr. Mr. Evans posted a bond and made his initial appearance in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County. Mr. Evans is represented by counsel and awaits his preliminary has waived his right to a preliminary hearing and is awaiting presentment of his matter to the grand jury. On March 31, 2019, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on Sunset Avenue. Once inside, officers discovered the body of Judith Montmire. Detective Jacob Fountain of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator. Following his investigation, Detective Fountain charged Martin Montmire with the first-degree murder of his wife, Judith. Mr. Montmire has appeared before the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County in Tennessee, And following a preliminary hearing, probable cause was found by the court to bind the matter over to the grand jury. In circuit court, he will be represented by Ben Wetzel with the Office of the Public Defender. November 2019, the grand jurors of Rutherford County, Tennessee, indicted Mr. Montmire for first-degree murder. Mr. Montmire awaits his next court date of February the 19th, 2021. After a TBI investigation, a Murfreesboro attorney, David Whalen, was indicted on three separate indictments by the June 2020 grand jury, with one count of aggravated rape, nine counts of rape, two counts of aggravated sexual battery, two counts of sexual battery by an authority figure, one count of statutory rape by an authority figure, one count of attempted rape, and one count of promotion of prostitution. Mr. Whalen failed to appear in court after posting bond in the Division II Circuit Court. A state and nationwide manhunt was initiated by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations. Thanks to to citizen tips, Mr. Whalen was located in Mobile, Alabama. On September 11, 2020, law enforcement officers made contact with Mr. Whalen and attempted to take him into custody for failure to appear. Mr. Whalen was hiding inside the cabin of a boat he had recently purchased and refused to come out. Instead, Mr. Whalen produced a handgun and took his own life. On the 26th of June, 2019, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Walnut Grove Road. Mr. Terry Barber was found deceased on the floor with his hands and feet bound together. Detectives Ty Downing and Steve Brown have been assigned as the lead investigators. Following their investigation, the detectives developed several individuals as suspects in this case. Devin Gailey, 
Brent Ross and Vernice Ferrer have been charged with first-degree murder, especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and fraudulent use of a debit card. All three defendants have appeared before the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County and are represented by separate counsel. After a preliminary hearing, a General Sessions judge for Rutherford County bound the matter over to the grand jury. In June of last, uh, June of this year, pardon me, a Rutherford County grand jury indicted the three defendants for all charges. The defendants will next appear before the, the Division II Circuit Court on January 7th of next year. On February 8, 2021, David Rowan is scheduled to go to trial in the Division III Circuit Court of Rutherford County, Tennessee. Mr. Rowan was indicted on February of 2018 by a Rutherford County grand jury for three counts of rape, two counts of sexual contact with a minor by an authority figure, one count of sexual battery by an authority figure, and three counts of statutory rape by an authority figure. On December 14th of this year, Christopher Medlock is scheduled to go to trial in the Division II Circuit Court of Rutherford County. Mr. Medlock was indicted in September of 2019 by a Rutherford County grand jury for two counts of aggravated sexual battery and one count of attempted aggravated sexual battery. On September 9th of this year, Rentivas Holmes entered a plea of guilty to aggravated child abuse. Mr. Holmes received a 13-year sentence to serve at 100% of the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Mr. Holmes was indicted in December of 2017 by a Rutherford County grand jury. The state was represented by Assistant District Attorney Hugh Ammerman. On September 1st of this year, Travis Perdue entered a plea of guilty to two counts of aggravated sexual battery. Mr. Perdue received a 15-year sentence to serve at 100% at the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Mr. Perdue will be placed on the Tennessee Sex Offender Registry for life. Mr. Perdue was indicted in February 2020 by a Rutherford County grand jury. The state was represented by Assistant District Attorney Sharon Reddick. On October 12th of this year, Benjamin Hartshaw went to trial in the Division II Circuit Court of Rutherford County after being indicted of Ju in July of 2018 for six counts of rape of a child and four counts of aggravated sexual battery. After deliberation, a Rutherford County jury convicted Mr. Hartshaw on all counts. Mr. Hartshaw is scheduled to be sentenced in the Division II Circuit Court on December 17th by Judge David Bragg. Mr. Hartshaw faces a possible sentence between 25 and 288 years in prison at 100%. The state in this case was represented by Assistant District Attorneys Sharon Reddick and Sarah Davis. On July 26th of this year, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Asbury Road. On scene, deputies discovered the body of Eric Bixler. A 911 call was made by neighbors after Mr. Bixler's girlfriend ran to their home covered in blood. Detectives Ty Downing and Steve Brown were assigned as lead investigators. After the conclusion of their investigation, the detectives charged Christopher Robinson and Christopher White of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, with first-degree murder, two counts of especially aggravated robbery, two counts of especially aggravated kidnapping, aggravated burglary, and employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Robinson and Mr. White appeared before a General Sessions judge in Rutherford County represented by separate counsel.
A preliminary hearing was held on October the 29th of this year in the General Sessions Courtroom for Rutherford County. At the conclusion of the hearing, the matter was bound over for grand jury consideration. Mr. Robinson and Mr. White await presentment of their case to a Rutherford County grand jury. On December the 8th, 2016, Murfreesboro police located the body of Francisca Gomez Cordero in a wooded area off of Elam Road. Based on their investigation, Murfreesboro detectives have now filed charges against Romulo Hernandez Mayorga. Mayorga has thus far eluded capture. If you have information regarding this case or the whereabouts of Romulo Hernandez Mayorga, please contact Detective Doug Arrington of the Murfreesboro Police Department. The phone number to call is 615-893-1311. That phone number again is 615-893-1311. And that will conclude our look inside the courts. And Jennings, uh, while we got a little bit of time, I know that you and I would like to pay tribute to a true professional who has announced his retirement. Uh, and we're talking about Judge David Bragg. I know that we both have had heavy involvement in being in, in court with Judge Bragg, and we both think he is a wonderful judge, a true public servant, and someone that this community should be really proud of. I want to give you a few moments to talk about Judge David Bragg. Paul, I had the opportunity, as did you, to work in front of Judge Bragg for a, a, a good number of years. Um, I always found Judge Bragg to be uh, very deliberate in his consideration. Uh, I found him uh, to always pay attention to all of the facts of the case, something that is uh, not as common as one might hope. Uh, Judge Bragg has uh, proven himself to be both intelligent and a very capable judge, and, and I agree that I will be very sorry to see him leave the bench. Um, we have uh, three good candidates for, uh, for judge to be appointed by the governor. Uh, looking forward to see who, who makes the cut. Uh, but, uh, Judge Bragg, you will be missed, and uh, if there's anything I can ever do to you or for you, please let me know. And, you know, Judge Bragg, uh, not only has he made his valuable contributions, but his family has made so many contributions to the Rutherford County community. I know his brother, Tommy Bragg, was mayor of uh, Murfreesboro. I know that he volunteered in the summer quite often to serve as Judge Don Ash's court officer. Uh, and if you would like to say anything about the other members of the family, uh, I'm going to give you that opportunity. Well, uh, let's see. Of course, uh, Tommy Bragg, I, I was working in front of Judge Ash when he uh, was serving as Judge Ash's court officer. I had a, a couple of good stories about that, which, uh, for his sake, I'll not share on the air. Uh, then uh, Kevin, Judge Bragg's son, uh, he uh, uh, is now married to a young lady who used to work in the office, uh, Kayla. Uh, they have moved out of state and uh, gone to somewhere up, uh, up north where it's a little bit too cold for me, but... Uh, if they like it, God bless them. Of course, then uh, uh, the family uh, has had John Bragg uh, and, and many other folks who have devoted their lives to public service. Uh, I am uh, impressed by the family and, and think highly of them all. Okay. Uh, one thing that I would like to say is we really have appreciated what Judge Bragg has done. And if by chance he listens or someone else listens uh, to this particular broadcast, we want to invite him. He has been as a guest in our uh, radio program previously. 
did a fantastic job, and we would invite him to come back as a special guest on this broadcast. And that concludes our look inside the courts. News Radio WGNS is all about saving you money. Hear Clark Howard weekdays 11 to 1, Dave Ramsey 1 to 4, then Financial Coaching Radio at 4. I'd like to mention that Christmas is coming up. If you're shopping for someone special, bring them into the Music World and Drummer's Den. Hello, this is Dan Mitchell. We have beginner pack guitars. We have specials for Christmas. Like I said, we have beginner packs of every kind of instrument, lessons of all kinds. Everything you need in the music world, we have it here. Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church Street, right across the street from Indian Hills Golf Course. As cold and flu season approaches, one of the best things that you can do to give somebody who is sick is a quart of Demas's chicken and rice soup. This is Peter Demas with Demas Family of Restaurants. This soup is my grandmother's recipe, and we have used this soup in order to help our family whenever we are sick. Just gives us a good comfort feeling. One of the things that you can also do is you can now ship that soup anywhere across the United States, and you can order that soup online at demasfamilykitchen.com. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system. WGNS listeners get $50 off. 615-930-0088. A whole house air purifier. 615-930-0088. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Weekdays at 5, it's all sports talk with Marty Hale Jr. and Tim Tackert. Here on WGNS, we're local, we know sports. On our call to. Consumer Warrior Clark Howard, weekdays 11 to 1. That spanned over 25 years. Our case study today involves the 1986 murder of Deborah Bess. With us today to discuss this case is Major Bill Sharp and Sergeant Dan Goodwin of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime... The investigation to the prosecution. Our case study today involves a case that spanned more than 28 years between the crime itself and the jury's verdict. It is a shining example of a model cold case investigation. It is the 1986 investigation into the death of 38-year-old Deborah Bess. We begin our story by going back in time. The date is August the 19th, 1986. The location is a trailer on Richland Richardson Road in Rutherford County, Tennessee. The Rutherford County Sheriff's Office has responded to a mobile home owned by Moses and Deborah Bess. Moses Bess meets the deputies outside of the trailer he tells the deputies that his wife, Deborah, has just committed suicide. When the deputies enter the trailer, 
they locate the body of Deborah Bess. It is a gruesome and horrible scene. Deborah Bess's head had been completely destroyed. Her face was non-existent. Moses Bess tells the investigators that Deborah Bess told him to take care of the kids and then that she placed a 44 Magnum pistol under her chin and pulled the trigger. There were small children present in the trailer, but they were not interviewed. Moses Bess was known to the police, and some of the investigators doubted his story. But Moses Bess claimed to be the only witness to the shooting, and although it seemed unlikely to the detectives that a woman would use a high-powered firearm to shoot herself in the face, no witness could contradict Bess's version of the events. For over 20 years, the case remained unsolved. Then, in 2011, Bill Sharp and Dan Goodwin, two dedicated Rutherford County cold case detectives, brought their unique skills, their perseverance, and their dedication in an effort to find the truth regarding the death of Deborah Bess. They reviewed the case file, re-interviewed the friends, family, and co-workers of Deborah Bess, and they also interviewed the small children who had been at the trailer that night. Their investigation also included interviewing former friends and neighbors of Moses Bess. They established that Deborah Bess had told friends that she was leaving Moses Bess that night. They also found out that the small children had actually witnessed the shooting and contradicted Moses Bess's version of the facts. After a year-long renewed investigation, Dan Goodwin and Bill Sharp had gathered enough evidence to present their case to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. When we return, we will tell you what the Rutherford County Grand Jury determined regarding the death of Deborah Bess. Get the latest local real estate information, lawn and garden tips, and more Saturdays at noon on the Rutherford Home Show with Dean Higby and Dave Grover here on WGNS. We'll see cloudy skies here for this afternoon with a high into the upper 40s. Winds out of the northwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy skies develop below near 31. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Vujitsky on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 45. In March of 2012, the Rutherford County Grand Jury indicted 63-year-old Moses Bess for the 1986 murder of Deborah Bess. The case was assigned to the courtroom of Judge David Bragg. The prosecution team consisted of District Attorney General William C. Weitzel, Jr. and Assistant District Attorneys J. Paul Newman and Matt Westmoreland. Moses Bess was represented by Murfreesboro attorneys Charles Ward and Derek Howard. After more than two years of pretrial proceedings, the case was eventually set for trial. The trial of Moses Bess began on June the 1st, 2015. The jury heard experts from the defense and the state. The defense expert maintained that he believed 
that Deborah Bess was under stress and may have committed suicide. The state expert took a different view of the facts. He said that Deborah Bess was not a suicide victim, that she was a victim of homicide. Also during the trial, witnesses testified that Moses Bess had told them that he killed Deborah Bess. Bess's son also testified. Now an adult, the son told the jury what he saw that night. He said he saw Moses Bess put a 44 Magnum pistol under Deborah Bess's chin, and the next thing he heard was a gunshot. And then he saw Deborah Bess on the floor. After six days of testimony, the jury left the courtroom to deliberate. Approximately two hours later, the jury returned with their verdict. The jury found Moses Bess guilty of murder in the first degree. Judge Bragg accepted the jury's verdict, and Judge Bragg sentenced Moses Bess to life in prison. Detectives Bill Sharp and Dan Goodwin had achieved what many thought was impossible. They had taken a 25-year-old cold case that needed further investigation, and by accepting that challenge, their efforts brought Moses Bess to justice. The Moses Bess conviction shows us all that a murder case is never too cold to be rewarned and reinvestigated, and never too old to be renewed, reborn, and prosecuted. This is true because in a murder case, justice does not have an expiration date. It is my honor now to have with us in the studio today Major Bill Sharp and Sergeant Dan Goodwin. We appreciate both of you taking the time to be here today. Before we delve into the case itself, I would like for each of you to tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically what motivated you to choose law enforcement as your profession. Let's start with Major Bill Sharp. Good morning, Paul. Thank you for having uh, Dan and I on your show this morning. <clears throat> well, you know, it was a, it's kind of a long walk from beginning to where I am today. Um, I, I grew up in uh, New Jersey in a, kind of an implant and came back south where my father and my mother were raised. But we came to Murfreesboro and shortly thereafter moved over to Cannon County. So uh, I, I consider myself a Cannon County, Cannon County boy. You know, as far as the career itself, I, I never had intentions of getting into law enforcement. You know, um, I, uh, I I had a career path set for maybe teaching and coaching because I enjoyed playing baseball and so forth. But uh, I was offered an opportunity to go to work for the Woodbury Police Department in 1991. Uh, former Chief Avery called me in and asked me if I'd be interested coming in and, and uh, going to work for his department. He knew I was in college, and, and he said he'd work around my, my schedule and help me finish my degree so uh, I spent about two and a half years at Woodbury before having an opportunity to come work for Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Sheriff Jones and uh, Chief Gams at that time brought me in, interviewed me and and offered me a job so um, after about a year, two years it sort of stuck in my blood and, and here I am today so uh, I've had a, a great career, blessed career and worked for some fine, fine people there. Now let's hear from Sergeant Dan Goodwin. It's good to see you again Paul. Um, 
there's kind of a parallel track here. Uh, I, too, was an Air Force brat. My dad retired in 1970, and he moved us to a 40-acre patch of heaven in Cannon County. I went to high school there. I never set out to be a cop like Bill. Um, I went in the Air Force the week after I graduated high school in 77, started at MTSU 81, got a degree in journalism, of all things, in 1985. I worked at a paper for a while that year, and then I went to the DNJ. By August of 1986, I was a cop reporter at the DNJ and heard about the death of Deborah Best the next morning. I'll tell you a little bit about that later. Uh, what I saw was I was a lot more like the cops I was covering than the people I was sharing space with at the DNJ. Uh, even so, I got promoted to city editor, but uh, Sheriff Truman Jones uh, offered me a job in 1992 in law enforcement. I jumped on it. Uh, spent about seven years in patrol, SRO, narcotics, and I transferred to CID and happened to partner up with this enormous man next to me. And uh, folks started going to jail frequently as a result. And that's where we're at now. My summary was brief, and I would like to ask you both a series of questions designed to tell us more about the investigation into the murder of Deborah Bass and the arrest 25 years later of Moses Bass. First, Major Sharp. This investigation was really a team effort, and it spanned over 25 years, beginning with the officers who responded to the scene and continuing throughout the investigation and ultimately ending with the arrest of Moses Bass. Who were some of those officers, and what roles did they play in bringing Moses Bass to justice? Well, Paul, excuse me, as you mentioned earlier, um, they received a call to the sheriff's office uh, in reference to a a shooting. Now, the irony of this is the person who received the call from from the sheriff's office, or called the sheriff's office, was Mr. Loretta Ewing. Uh, We discussed, I think in the past, the, the Ewing case, Charles Ewing, uh, who was eventually arrested for killing his first wife? But anyway, she is the she is the one who called the sheriff's office and and stated that uh, there had been a shooting at the Bess's residence, and she would received that information from the Bess children who came running up. But shortly after, about ten thirty that night, the day of the shooting or the night of the shooting, deputies Glenn Morton and deputies uh, Jim Gage arrived at the scene. Now, when they arrived at the scene as the first two patrol officers, they they were met by several people sitting in the front yard, one of those being Moses Bess. Moses was in a calm state, but he, he was outside. The two deputies waited for further backup, and, and once the backup got there, they went into the residence. Um, they waited for the detective to come out, and that detective was, was Rick Deal. Rick Deal was the original investigator on it. He was assisted by Randy Gross, who I may mention is still with us and doing investigative work still but they entered the crime scene um, and and collected i would say minimal amount of evidence photographs and so forth but over the years you know that that case has sat there but you know with with the um the photographs and the the crime scene sketch until dan and i picked up the case many years later so really the two original investigators deal and randy gross Sergeant Goodwin, my next question is, this case began on August the 19th, 1986, and it lay dormant for more than two decades. What was it that caused you and Major Sharp to reopen this case in 2011? Basically, we started getting in new information starting in May of 2011. 
after the death of a fellow named Alan Hall, a, a close criminal associate of Jewel Moses Bess. Um, they were, lived right across the road from each other on Richard and the Road. Um, and people, after Hall's death, started calling us and telling us about all kinds of crimes and killings on Hall's land, which they all referred to as the Ponderosa, and Moses' place called Moses Mountain. But the only crime we were told about that we knew had a solvability factor was the supposed suicide of Deborah Bess. Uh, we started learning about the many admissions by Moses to killing her within the first two days of our inquiry. Sergeant Goodwin, in this case, there were some serious obstacles that you had to overcome. To understand the problems, we have to first understand the crime and its participants. First of all, the victim in this case was Deborah Bess. What can you tell us about her? She was a divorced woman with two teenage daughters and a younger son in the early 1980s. She was originally from the Kittrell area, as was Moses, and uh, she graduated from Kittrell School in 1966. Moses was a year behind her in high school. I don't think he graduated. Uh, But in the early early 80s, Moses divorced his first wife but had their three sons in custody. Uh, Deborah started going to the many parties that occurred out there at Moses' place uh, and started hanging around there and uh, they became an item and she soon moved her girls and I believe the boy stayed with his father and uh, well it sounds almost exactly like the Brady Bunch it soon turned dark for her with a lot of domestic violence horrible crimes that were being perpetrated on her and the kids Uh, he called her his wife but they didn't actually marry until 1986 just a few months before she was killed and and after she bore him two girls between the two of them uh, and the 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 most touch one of the most touching things we were told is the the boys Moses boys consider her to be the closest thing to a real mother that they ever had. Major Sharp, can you tell us about Moses Bess? Well, if we have about another hour and a half, we could probably <laughs> talk <laughs> talk that long on Moses. Um, Moses uh, was an interesting character, unique uh, to say it lightly, uh, evil. But anyway, Moses is from a large family. There's been numbers saying anywhere from 14 to 17, 18 children in the family. Um, he, he as well was from the Kittrell area. And Moses, shortly after turning of age, entered the military. Now, the, 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 the part about the military is when Moses got back and returned from Vietnam, he started telling everybody that he was a tunnel rat and that he had uh, killed many Vietnamese and, and soldiers and so forth. And, and it talked about his exploits as a as a tunnel rat we found that not to be true we found the fact that uh, though he did serve he was he was behind the lines he was in i think wasn't it motor pool or transport dan yes sir and uh so anyway after his time he he returned back to murfreesboro and, and soon began his criminal activities drugs and and so forth moses fancied himself um, a biker he had that um, he, he thought he had that persona of being a, I, I want to say a Charlie Manson. That's how some people referred to him uh, that we interviewed. The, the long hair, the beard. Um, he would intimidate and, and try to entice younger people to do some of his dirty deeds. But he also started running with some known bad people you know, that are no longer here that, that uh, we've investigated on homicides as well. Moses used to run around with... Um, bells on his boots and and large rings on his fingers when he was beating people and he would tell people that these are hell's bells and he would want people to kiss his boots and 
and, and call him God. So Moses was a um, just an evil, evil person. I want to ask you now about the arrest of Moses Vest. First of all, Sergeant Sharp, Major Sharp, where was he arrested, and uh, why was he where he was when you arrested him? Moses was arrested while he was incarcerated in state penitentiary. Moses had been sent to prison under uh, where he had raped his daughter, and he was serving, I believe it was a 15-year sentence. And Detective Gross actually worked that case, which, you know, kind of funny how all the original detectives and, and so forth tie in. But Randy worked that case, and he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. And we knew that it was getting close to him flattening out his time. And we were able to, I think, wrap the case up and enough information to take it to the grand jury. And we didn't end up resting him while he was in prison. Sergeant Goodwin, from reviewing the autopsy, what injuries did Deborah Best suffer that caused her death? Uh, Deborah Best died as a result of a massive gunshot wound to her head. The bullet passed through her head from under her right jaw and exited the top left side of her skull. Um, the weapon used was, uh, as you referenced earlier, uh, an enormous three and a half pound bone handled Ruger 44 Magnum revolver. The most common load for that cartridge is a 240 grain jacketed hollow point going about 1400 feet per second, an extremely powerful round. And one of the things he did was tell us that he'd bought that gun for her, and that is she was a frail person. That's like lifting a bottle of gain detergent. You know, she, that would not be something that a lady would use in that case. But our investigation showed that it was not a suicide. Uh, the manner was ruled as homicide by our investigation. The cause was that gunshot wound. Major Sharp, it appears that from the very beginning of this case, Moses Best was always maintaining that this was a suicide. Was there any reason at the beginning of the investigation or at any time shortly after that to doubt Moses' best version of the events? I think the, the what people were basing that suicide uh, on was the fact that no one had come forward. No one would testify. No one would say anything against Moses' best. Uh, Moses intimidated those who were there. Um, the other thing about the crime scene itself is techniques and, and strategies and, and uh, forensics have changed greatly from that time. Looking at the crime scene photographs, uh, there are several, I won't say, but a couple things that were just glaring that showed that it's, in our mind, was not a suicide. The, the transfer of blood uh, on the bed, the fact that there's blood on the water bed and the sheets were removed. However, we know that there were sheets on the bed prior to that. But the fact that, that no one would come up and say, and Moses was the only, quote, witness to it, um, that's, that's one reason I think it was never pursued as a homicide until we were able to find people to start talking. Sergeant Goodwin, why do you think this case became a cold case? Well, as Bill referenced, you know, I said earlier, I actually heard about it the next day, and it wasn't a news story because you don't report on suicides, but it always stuck in my mind exactly what the sergeant there, Sergeant Gammon, told me that morning. He said, I asked him what happened every night. I went there every morning, and he said, well, the biggest drug dealer in the county blew his wife's head off, but we have no way to prove it. Uh, so it was ruled a suicide. The obstacles included, like Bill said, the ongoing fear of Moses Bess, even though he'd already been locked up for 13 years in the state prison. People were afraid that he and his henchmen would be able to get at them if, he to if they told the truth. But the passage of time, which is always our friend, and the death of witnesses were also a problem. 
uh, one of our key witnesses died just months before the trial in 2013, and another dying of cancer had to be deposed in a federal prison in Florida. We knew we had with the key when we found three eyewitnesses to deliver a contact headshot to Deborah, and that was Moses' boys. Major Sharp, was there a, a moment when you realized that you had enough to charge Moses best? And if so, do you remember when that moment was? I, I think when his son came forward, um, uh, among others, but when his son said that he recalls seeing how Deborah was lying on the floor, which was contradictory to what Moses was saying, and really matched what, what we found in our investigation as far as the blood spatter, the, the transfer and all that. I think that was the point where I felt very confident. And the fact that people were able to come forward, Paul, um, as you, I don't know if you remember, but there was a neighbor that lived down the road from Moses, just out of high school, maybe college age or so forth, but... Uh, he had walked down to Moses, drove down to Moses' house one night, and uh, Moses asked him if he had been the one shooting this gun and what type of guns, because Moses was always interested in guns. And, and this young man told him that it was a 44 Magnum. Well, Moses stood up, and if you can picture it, stood up and walked over to this young man and put it underneath, put his finger underneath his chin and pulled the trigger and mentioned that he killed his wife. I killed her, and this is how I did it. So at that moment... You know, you had his son giving us information, the positive information about the way the body was, which matched what Dan and I and, uh, and others had thought. And then this young man who had nothing to do with the Moses family, that inner circle, just a random neighbor. So uh, at that point, we started feeling real good about it. Detective Goodwin, what role did the friends and coworkers of Deborah Bass play in their investigation? Um, her female friends uh, within the group that they hung around with on the mountain uh, were able to testify to a lot of physical and mental abuse that Deborah suffered for years at his hands. Her co-workers at Cracker Barrel also told us how he stalked her while she was at work, and all of the ladies confirmed that she planned to divorce him and was actively planning to run away and get that divorce, take custody of his sons, and get custody of his property. Major Sharp, this was the seventh cold case that the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office solved since its formation. Is there any one thing about this case that will always stay with you? I think the fact that, that when we met Moses to interview Moses is something that we talked to the family about as well. But when we first met Moses, uh, he, he tried to intimidate, and that's Moses best. I, I, re, I recall vividly him coming up, shaking my hand, and, and a lot of times when people try to establish dominance, they'll try to roll the hand over and, and so forth, and he made eye contact, and it's important and very imperative that, that I didn't break eye contact with him, and once he stopped, and it seemed like hours, but it's just a few seconds before he, he broke his eye contact, um, and, and that's what we, we told the family as well, when they came in to testify, when he came into the courtroom, that's what he would try to do is test, you know, in, intimidate. But I, I think what sticks in my mind is just this man is evil. And, I mean, we've, we've worked some terrible cases, but the things that this man has done and said, uh, I just he's, he's probably the most evil person I've, I've come across in, in this many years of law enforcement. And Sergeant Goodwin, the same question. It, that it's the little things that matter. People need to tell pe the cops what they know when there's a crime. 
those ladies could have come forward back then and that would have gotten the investigation rolling but mostly is the bravery of two children who were there that night one was 18 months old the daughter mariah uh that's no longer her name has been changed legally uh, he finally got a measure of justice for deborah bess uh, she was on the bed when her mama was killed uh she's also the one he molested 15 years later and got sent to prison for it because she realized finally what was going on and she broke his head pretty good with a frying pan and called 911. And that led to him going to prison, which made this county a much safer place. And it also started removing his base of power. She made him a fixed target. And then when her half-brother Michael testified to what he'd seen in a very emotional way, that sealed Moses' fate. Uh, and I know he's not going to be eligible for parole until 2038 and he'll be nearly 90 i won't be too far behind him 10 years and i'm hoping bill is in good enough shape to drive us up there to testify against his release or maybe we can get an uber we want to thank both of you and the other members of the rutherford county sheriff's office for the excellent work that was performed in bringing moses best to justice skies here for this afternoon with a high into the upper 40s. Winds out of the northwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy skies develop below near 31. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 45. Good morning. Traffic picked up quite a bit the last few minutes out here on 24 and through the Hickory Hollow area. Give yourself extra time out here this morning with the weather moving through our area. Still looks good on 840 headed over towards Franklin, Williamson County. Just watch your speed. Hey, to cater your next holiday party, call Princess Hot Chicken or simply go online, princesshotchicken.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street, online at tireworld.us. First Class Sales and Service in Smyrna is reminding you not to wait on that next car repair job. As a matter of fact, if you're a teacher or first responder, there are special discounts available to you on your next job. So stop by First Class Sales and Service in Smyrna. That's First Class Sales and Service in Smyrna. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. As we end our program today, we thank our producer, Nick Cohen. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, New Year's Day, January the 1st, at 8, 10 a.m. on your good neighbor station, WGNS. We leave by saying... A safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my co-host, Jennings Jones, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day.
The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro. He's local. Certified financial planner Jason Qualls. Financial Coaching Radio. Weekdays at 4 on News Radio WGNS. A heart for healing. When life